Find with me in your Bible, John chapter 15. And uh, we're going to continue a little series that we started a couple weeks ago before the conference on intimacy called Fellowship of the Holy. And we're just talking about really what it means to have an intimate relationship with God and not the dues of it, but who is God? Not the one, two, three, four, five, how to have an intimate relationship with God, but finding out who God is and from there our hearts being compelled to, to seek Him out, search Him out, and to, to go deep into the knowledge of Him. I, I'm um, continually struck at how our view of who God is affects the way we live every facet of our life, day in and day out. And um, so much of our picture of God influences the choices we make, the, the way that we live, the view of ourselves, the view we have of others. And uh, I am, I'm committed to this to, for myself and, and for anyone I get to, to talk to, to get to, to speak to, to, to be one that goes deep into the knowledge of who He is and then proclaims the truth of who He is so that the paradigms that we have about God that are wrong would just fall off and fade away in light of the truth of who He is. You know, uh, Paul said that every stronghold that's in our minds is exalted against the knowledge of God. In other words, all the attack of the enemy as it relates to the lies that he tells you, it's to pervert and to skew our picture of who God is because he knows if he can get us to think wrongly about God, then we will live in a way that's that's uh, bound and, 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 and not free and hard and not alive. And, 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 and worst case, you know, scared and fearful of God or in aloof. And I'm, I'm aware of this, that um, our intimacy with the Lord, the way that we, I'm not talking about Sunday morning worship. I'm talking about from Sunday afternoon to Saturday night. The way that we live the rest of our time throughout our week it's a picture of the way that we view God. In other words, if we live aloof and standoffish, that says something really loudly to us about uh, how we view Him. If, uh, if we are running to Him, that says something. If we're standing away from Him, that says something. And, and our, the primary way that we view God uh, dictates how we will relate to God. For instance... If you think of God primarily as master, you'll relate to him primarily as slave. And tons of Christians do. They just see themselves solely as a servant of this great, powerful God. And while he is great and powerful, there's a far deeper revelation of who he is than just the one that's Lord, just master. Jesus actually wanted to take us from seeing him solely as master and Lord actually into friendship. And what does that mean about the nature of a God that wants to bring you and I into friendship? <laughs> that says something completely different about him than maybe the masses and, and most believers think about him. Even if you have right features about God in your mind. For instance, you know that he's a judge and you see him as judge. If you don't incorporate the truths of who he is as one who is delighted in his people, as one who is love, as one who has pleasures flowing from his throne, if you solely see him as judge, but you don't incorporate uh, the other major truths of his facet, you'll, you'll cower before him when you fail instead of come to him. And so our knowledge of who God is, our picture of who God is, it radically influences the way that we live our lives day in and day out. And so the, the key thing that I think the Lord is trying to communicate through the, the body of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is that He created people to enter into love and relationship with people. He didn't create us to sort of Prove to us how big he is and how small, he, how small we are, though that happens when you see him. The key message is God loves people. 
God loves us. He, he desires us. He wants to be with us. And while that may seem so simple of a thought, beloved, I, I think we live really dif- distant from the truth of it. And um, I've watched in my life my progression into intimacy with God for a long time. I was a, just a hellfire and brimstone preacher. That's basically all I thought about. If you don't serve Jesus, you're going to hell. And we got to tell everybody they're going to hell, so they'll serve Jesus. And that was kind of the main way that I, that I viewed life. I was uh, very focused on sin. And, and, and still, don't, I don't wink at sin. But what I realize is this. There's a, a message of God's goodness that actually draws human hearts. That he loves you in your sin. He loves you even in your failure. I got to see his parentheses. I am in a season right now where the Lord has been uh, just visiting me over this issue of intimacy. And I have so many thoughts whirling through my heart that I've just got to slow it down or I'll, I'll go way too fast over important, really important points. So I'll, I'm saying this. God loves you in your weakness. God loves you in weakness. God loves you in weakness. And that's a picture, I mean, that's a revelation that, that most of the church and most of us don't really get. We like the idea of it, that the sound of it is good. God loves me even though I'm weak. But living that out, living in the life of that, living daily, that whether you blow it or whether you make straight A's, whether you do perfectly or you do horribly, God's in love with you. Living that out when it actually is, you know, you're away from, uh, you know, Sunday morning service or away from the prayer room. Living that out day in and day out. Though I'm weak, you call me beautiful. You say you love me. That revelation, beloved, that will cause your heart to be buoyant no matter the circumstances. For instance, I woke up this morning. I got a little bit too much sun yesterday. I don't know if you can tell. Somebody told me last night, you look like somebody colored your face with a red crayon. Praise the Lord. But uh, I woke up this morning, I felt like a refried bean. I mean, I just, something gristly fried too many times and, and f- was feeling my weakness. So the compelling truth that I have to dive into in that moment is, why do I want to go there again this morning? Oh, you love me. And that's the compelling truth in every situation of our life, that though we're feeling weak, though we're performing maybe poorly at times, he loves us, and that's what compels our heart. So our, our, our picture of who God is, the revelation of the God who is love, who delights in people, even in weakness, who has pleasure flowing from his throne, these truths cannot be just passed over. They've got to be meditated on and, and they've got to be um, really drawn from and, 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 and rooted in our hearts so that we live life with a right view of God and ultimately we live free in heart. Because I'm convinced of this, like what Paul said, where we're bound, it has to do with a wrong knowledge of God. Where you're bound where you're bound in your emotions, where you're bound with fears, where you're bound with condemnations, where you're bound with with problems in your soul. That has to do ultimately with your knowledge of who God is. A right knowledge of God, I love how Tozer said it, it will deliver us from a thousand lesser issues. And so we're, we're dealing with this thing called the fellowship of the holy because the purpose of all creation God didn't need more servants. He had 10,000 times 10,000 servant angels to do his bidding. The purpose of all creation was that God wanted lovers. He wanted to flow back and forth in love with people. You're in John 15. I'm thinking about Ephesians 1. You just stay in John 15. The message of God's delight and his intimacy and intimacy with God, it settles your soul. It settles your heart. In Ephesians 1, he says this You and I have been made accepted 
in the beloved. <laughs> accepted. Everybody say accepted. It's puzzling. But Christians, and the world for sure, but Christians, ones who are already accepted, past tense, will spend their entire life working for acceptance. <laughs> we want the teacher or the boss or the romantic interest. We want everyone, the friends, society, the broader picture. We want People to accept us. And I want to say this. You're already accepted. And you're accepted in one called the beloved. (laughs) Jesus. You're accepted in him. Therefore you are beloved. When you land this issue. You're accepted and beloved. When you land this point. Everything else in life is just details. No, really, it's just details. You're like, well, brother, you don't understand. I got bills, I got a life, I got a business. I mean, we got, you know, we got business deals we're trying to make. And man, you don't understand the problems with my, my kids and my, or you don't understand the problems with my parents. Listen, when you land accepted by God and beloved by God, and you orient from there, The settling effect it has upon your soul is so profound that everything else is just details. Because if you can't conceive of this, that you're accepted by him and you're loved by him, then you know you're cared for and you're you're provided for by him. You know he's got your your best interest in mind. You know he's, he's... for you and if God is for you no one can be against you nothing can be against you no devil no demon nothing and when you can land accepted when you truly land it I'm not talking about when the when the preacher's giving you a pep rally I'm talking about when you're going through a rough time I'm talking about when you're in weakness when when failure is staring at you if you can land accepted in failure beloved in weakness Everything else becomes just details. Accepted in the beloved. That's you and me. Accepted in the beloved. He made us accepted in the beloved. Now, today I want to focus on two critical verses. John 15 and John 17. And I tend to orient from John 15, 9... As a, as a really a starting point for most of my prayer. Whenever I'm, whenever I'm entering into fellowship and prayer with the Lord, in terms of not just fellowshipping with the Lord throughout my day, but when I sit aside a, a time to be quiet before the Lord, I tend to start every, I mean virtually every time with John 15, 9. You don't have to start it with that. It's just something that works really well for me because it, it calibrates me, it orients my heart to a truth that I think is, it's, uh, critical and central to our relationship with God. Put it in perspective. Jesus, he's at the end of his life. He's getting ready to be crucified in a day and a half. And he's with the disciples. And he's going through the most important things that are on his mind. He's going through and he's breaking down in John 14 through 17. The most important issues. And in John 15, in a matter of about Uh, seven verses, he uses this term abide ten times. He says abide ten times in about seven verses. And he calls us, he's calling us to continuous relationship, continuous fellowship with him. He's calling us to flow back and forth with him in fellowship. What I want to propose to you is this, that he saves the critical issues to describe to his disciples for the most critical time of his life. Just as you would say the most important things if you're going on a trip right before you walk out the door. He's getting ready to walk out the door of living in in his earthly ministry and he's saying to to his disciples the most important things and he uses this term abide ten times in seven verses to start John 15. And the point he's trying to make is, I didn't create you to be slaves. He goes on and later he says, I made you friends. 
And I didn't create you to be running around and doing stuff without me. He goes, without me, you can do nothing. I've created you and I came into relationship with you. Why, Jesus? To stay in relationship with you in an abiding way, in a remaining way, in a standing with me sort of way. Abide in me. Let my words abide in you. And this thing will go to a place that you guys, we can't conceive of. Ask what you wish and it'll be done for you. I was looking at that in John 15, 7. I thought, yeah, my, my version of Christianity is really lackluster compared to that. <laughs> I mean, there's many times when I see the answers to prayer directly bang. But there are many things on my heart that I pray for that I, that I either, it's a delay in the answer. I don't see the answer for at all. And I know the problem's not with him. And so I go, man, there is promises there that I, I, haven't, I haven't gotten there yet. But I want to live in this place of abiding because that's what he's called us to do is abide. Abide. Not just on Sunday morning, not just in the prayer room, but abiding all day, fellowshipping all day, in communion all day. And then he brings us to this place. He says, first he says, abide in me or you've got no life in you. Abide in me and you'll bear fruit. Abide in me and let my words abide in you. Ask what you wish and it'll be done for you. And then he goes in verse 9, he says this verse. And this is the one that I orient from. He goes, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. Now that's not just a verse for me or for them. That's a verse for all of us. You've got to make that verse personal and ones like it. You've got to make it personal for it to have the effect on your soul it's intended to have. As the Father has loved me, Jesus said, I have loved you. Abide in my love. So the basis for Jesus' love for us It's that first phrase, the love that the Father has for him. That's the standard that Jesus picks when he decides, how do I love you? He goes, in the exact same way as the Father loves me. In the same measure, in the same manner, for the same extent of time. As the Father has loved me, I love you. Beloved, that is a stunning truth that I tell you, it, it needs much consideration. Consider. Consider the eternal fellowship of the Godhead. Perfect. Father-loving Son, Son-loving Spirit, Spirit-loving Father. All of them loving one another in perfect, unbridled passion and love. God-loving God in Perfection. Beauty, pleasure, flowing from each member of the Godhead to the others. Before creation was, before time began, before the worlds were formed. Proverbs 8 gives us a a glimpse of what it was like talking about the the pre-existence of wisdom before anything was. And Jesus being wisdom incarnate. And it says, wisdom says about its relationship with the Father, daily I was his delight. Rejoicing before him I was. And there is this playfulness and pleasure that was taking place in the Godhead before anything ever was. Before God does anything, he is delighted and fulfilled in himself. Do you comprehend the God that needs nothing? (laughs) Uncreated, self-existent. He needs nothing. He needs no one. Nobody completes him. We're so fractured, it's hard for us to imagine something so complete. A being so perfect, so fulfilled, love flowing, pleasure flowing back and forth of the members of the Godhead, beauty 
Oh, I mean, can you imagine the eternal uncreated God, self-existent, doesn't need another source, fully powerful, omnipotent, has all the power, all the pleasure, all the beauty, all the source of everything. That one living without necessity, flowing in perfection. Daily, the son was the father's delight. I mean, they had some good days. I mean, there weren't days yet, but they had some good times. The father begets the son. The son puts on skin. (laughs) Think about it. I, I, I tweeted this this week. The uncreated puts on corruption to save the corrupted. He puts on skin, flesh that dies. The uncreated God puts on flesh that dies. And through that process, Jesus goes, let me explain to you what's happening here, guys. John 15, 9, he goes, I'm at the end. I'm getting ready to go out the door. I'll be back in a minute, but you got to get these points. These are the big ones. Abide, 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 abide. Did I mention abide? We go abide in what? He goes, abide in me. Abide in my word. He goes, I'll tell you what. Let me just sum it up for you. Abide in love. And let me explain to you this whole point about love. He goes, I've got to explain to you why I'm even here. I'm the uncreated one. I'm in flesh. I'm with you. What's going on here? He goes, the reason that I'm even here, I love you. Oh, I love you. I love you. We go, well, what do you mean you love me? He goes, the standard of my love for you is the perfection of love the Father has for me. Do you think the Father was ever like disappointed with Jesus? Let's just work this through for a minute. Is it critical? I mean, you think Jesus, you know, flowing in perfection and love in the Godhead, and one day the Father goes, Jesus, you're just not doing that well enough. He's like, excuse me, Father? I mean, do you think there was a performance or a critical or a, any kind of lapse in any way but pure delight? No lapses in love in the Godhead. Pure delight. And Jesus goes, the standard by which you're able to conceive of my love for you is the very same as the Father has loved me. That's a good place to start your day. I mean, you wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe you had some slime dreams like I do sometimes. You go, man, Lord, I needed you in my dreams last night. I just feel horrible. And I it's 7.01. 60 seconds of life happening. It's boo day. What do I need? I need to know why am I doing today? Because I love you in perfection. I love you like the Father loves me. See, we're called to, to, to not just touch that revelation in a time of study or consideration. We're actually called to live in that revelation. As the Father has loved me, he goes, I love you in the same way. Stay there. Abide in that. That's good for you. You're called to live all your days abiding in that understanding that the Father has loved Jesus perfectly and in pleasure and in beauty and that's the exact same love that the Son has for you, has for me. Daily, the Son says, I was His delight. Guess what? Daily, you are His delight. Daily. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. That's a critical verse. We're not supposed to grow up from that. We're not supposed to graduate from that. We're supposed to live day in and day out from that place. All day, every day. 
in the perfection of love and delight of the Father, the smile of the Father. Just take a little left turn. Look at Isaiah 42. Through the prophet Isaiah, the father declaring his love for the son. Speaking in first person. I love this term, behold. I've gone through the scripture and read every single one of them. Actually, on a couple of occasions. I like to call it the divine voila. Because every time God says behold in the scripture, Something stunning follows it. He goes, behold, my elect one, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. Father, speaking of the son, he goes, behold, look at him, angels. Look at him, all creation. Behold, my servant in whom my soul delights. Behold, look at my son. I love him. Jesus says, behold, look at my bride. I love her. Look at her, the one in whom my soul delights. Oh, I love it. In the same way the Father loves Jesus, the Father loves you and I. It's the standard and the orientator. It's where we orientate this concept of God is loving, God loves you. It's the, it's the standard and the orientator of where we get this concept of God loves you. The way the Father feels about the Son is the way the Son feels about us. And furthermore, John 17, it's going to come up on your screen. I'll just read it to you. Hang there in, in, in Isaiah 42. It says, Jesus praying his high priestly prayer. He goes, I pray that they may be perfect in one that the world may know that you've sent me. There's a perfection, beloved, that we are going to come to in unity and love that we've not seen yet, and it's going to be a massive testifier to the lost. I tell you, it's more than a couple unity meetings. It's about hearts flowing alive in love. It's about hearts loving our enemies, hearts loving one another, putting down self-preference, putting down our own, our own platforms, our own personas. It's about us coming into love together with one another and for the lost, and the world will know. It says that the world may know that you've sent me, and look at this, and have loved them as you've loved me. See that? That rounds it out. Jesus has loved us as the Father's loved him. And the Father has loved us as the Father's loved Jesus. So it's just as reasonable in Isaiah 42 when you're looking at those verses. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. It's just as reasonable for you to see the delight of the Father over the Son and write your name right there. Not in regard to the Son's elect purpose, but in regard to the Father's delight for the Son. The Father delights over you in the same way that the Father delights over the Son. And the Son delights over you in the same way that the Father delights over the Son. Oh, beloved. This is the truth of why you were made. Created to be loved. Created to flow in love with God. And we live fractured and broken when we live apart from this truth. He made you to love you. I'm already off the map a little bit. Might as well go ahead and just keep sauntering on. I remember when I first started getting this revelation. I was a youth pastor, and my youth group had uh, thrown a mutiny. Just happens from time to time, and just a little group of people decided they didn't like me anymore, and I didn't like them either. Praise God. 
I had figured if you just killed one of them, it would send a message to everybody else that you just don't mess with the pastor, you know? That's a joke. I didn't kill anybody. But um, it, those are the thoughts that are in my mind. My wife and I, we loved this, this pizza place that was about an hour away at the time and had this really incredible Chicago-style thick, thick pizza. And we were just going to go drown our sorrows in pizza. Just, you ever do that? <laughs> Just going to get my mind off of life in a bunch of mozzarella. <laughs> and uh, so we make the hour-long drive. We go there, and we eat, we eat our fill of garlic rolls swimming in butter. Oh. And this thick pizza like that. And, uh, and I do the Thanksgiving meal version of eating. I eat till you're mad. You ever done that? <laughs> you eat, and you eat, and you go... Man, this is, I'm not even happy anymore. This is, man, I'm so full. I feel like a stuffed tick. I got, I'm about to die. You know, you, you like ruin the whole experience by eating too much. So I'm on my way home. My wife goes into a narcoleptic coma, carbohydrate induced. She's asleep. I'm driving hour long trip. I'm, I, I, I can swallow and taste the pizza. I'm fully garlicified. I, I'm not even happy. I, I feel horrible. And I'm just mad and I want to kill a few teenagers. Man of God, faith and power on display. So I asked the Lord a question. I said, God, why'd you even make people? Because <laughs> in the scheme of things, it just seemed like a really bad idea in that moment. That God would even make humans. Like just poor idea. I said, We're all going to hell anyway. Bad idea, God. Why'd you even do this? And the Lord answered me back. And it was one of those times when the Lord spoke a volume in about half a second. He answered me back with a question. And you know, that's in tr- you know that you're in trouble. Because if he's asking you a question, it's not because he needs the answer. It's because you need the answer. I said, God, why would you even make people? He goes, why did I make you? I go, oh, Lord, I'm not really in the mood for this right now and he said it again just just sweetly and calmly to my heart why did I make you and I went through a litany of answers I said you created us to serve you You created us to worship you you created us to fulfill our purpose and each time I gave an answer the Lord just gently spoke a correction in my heart he goes you know serve me he goes I've got thousands upon thousands serving angels what possibly could you do for me he created me to worship you. He goes, I am surrounded in the perfection of worship 24 hours a day. It's ceaseless, tireless, and endless, and it's beautiful. He goes, really? He goes, like, I need more ants. He gave me a picture of ants, and I went, oh, boy. Like, God's this big egotist that just needs more ants to go, hail, hail, we love you, God. You know? He says, I'm not, I'm not that way. And I said, I went broad then after I was getting, he's, I said, you made me to fulfill my purpose, <laughs> whatever that is. He said, son, without me, you have no purpose. I don't need to make you to fulfill a purpose. I am your purpose. And I finally said, okay, God, I don't know why you made me. Why did you make any of us? And he says it so clearly to my heart, and I just felt it all drain out of me in that moment, all the angst and anger all the frustration. He said, I made you to love you. Created to be loved. The God who is love, desiring ones that could reject love, he made us to love us. We have the ability to say no. See, if we couldn't say no, then it wouldn't be love at all. But he gives us choice. And in that, there is love manifest. The God who is love itself, he doesn't make you to make you a servant. He doesn't make you to make you some sort of ant worshiping him. He doesn't make you for any of that stuff, for some you know, you know, anomalous purpose out there. He, he made you, he made you for this reason, to love you. And we've been confused on this point for years and years and years. Church and humanity is confused on this point. God made you to love you, to flow back and forth in love with you. 
He made one just like you. He thought about you and dreamed about you from eternity past because he wanted to fellowship in love with you. Well, at what level? As the Father loved Jesus, Jesus loved you. And that the world may know that Jesus was sent by the Father, that we would know, that, know it also, that as the Father has loved Jesus, the Father has loved us. We're loved by God in the same manner that God loves God, no less. We're loved by God at an astounding level that we've never comprehended. See, if you lack revelation of the love of God, you misconceive and you misunderstand all the activities of God. You'll never understand judgment if you don't understand love. You'll never understand correction. See, God loves and he, he, corrects, he, he corrects those whom he loves. The reason why is he's not because he doesn't want to leave you like that. He cares about you enough to help you get fixed. You'd never understand judgment or even wrath. What's going on with this fiery God that's going to devour his adversaries? What's going on with that? That's the jealousy of a husband's fury being poured out against everything that's hindering love. So I'm sitting here in a... Uh, Awakening service a few weekends ago, and I know I told this story a couple weekends, but I a couple weekends ago, but I, I I've got to tell it again because when I opened the door to this thought, it was like, oh wow, and then it was like, huh? <laughs> it was it was like I could tell it didn't it didn't resonate and land, and I just want to go through this point one more time, and we'll land, we'll end for today. But I'm sitting there, and there's there's movement of the Holy Spirit throughout the room. But I'm not feeling the Lord in that way. I'm feeling very contemplative in that moment. So I go sit there on the side and I just say, okay, Lord, I want to I wanna fellowship. I want to talk to you. And I go back to my, quote unquote, my happy place, John 15, 9. And I say, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. I just say it. And all of a sudden, the Lord begins to show me the perfection of beauty that the God had shared, the perfection of love that the God had shared in a pre-existent way before time began, before the worlds were formed, the God had flowing in perfect beauty and love. And he begins to, to minister to my heart. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit takes me on a Bible study. He starts unpacking verses for me. He starts talking to me about calling and purpose. He starts talking to me about intimacy, and he starts talking to me about familiar verses that I, I, I never thought of in certain ways. So I'm thinking about the, the unity and the love that the God had shared, the God had shared amongst itself. And then this concept that the, the Father and the Son love me in the same way that they love each other. And he brings me to Ephesians 2. Flip over there. See, God made you to love you. He didn't make you for any other purpose. He made you to love you. When you land that point, everything else is just details. Parenting becomes real easy when you realize that the the, the Core intention of the Father is love. Well, that's, that's settled so much for my wife and I because well, I just realized, well, what do I, what do I do? I discipline rebellion and I love mistakes. That'll save your children a bunch of inner healing later. No, really. You discipline rebellion and when they spill the milk, you don't get mad. You have a milk fight. I mean, you just, you love, you love them in mistakes. And you discipline rebellion because that's how the Lord is. And you still love them through it. You explain to them through that discipline of that rebellion, I love you so much, I'm about to tear your butt up. <laughs> the fire that you're feeling on your butt, it's just, it's just a micro-revelation of the fire of hell. 
And I love you enough to help impart this to you. It settled a lot for me. Ephesians 2, look at this. Crazy stuff. Oh, I just feel the tenderness of the Lord. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. I love this verse. Verse (laughs) 4 tells us about God. And then verse 5 through 7 tells us what he does because he's like verse 4, because verse 4 is him. God, who's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, he did two things. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive. He raised us up. You've been resurrected in the spirit. There's a day coming you'll be resurrected in the flesh. Oh, good days are in front of us. Your future is bright. It doesn't matter what the economy looks like. Your future is really bright. Super bright. Brighter than 10,000 suns. It's called glory. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. He raised us up together, and then here it is, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Most of the time I've heard that Verse preached, I've heard it preached about an issue of authority. You're seated in heavenly places. You have authority in Christ. You're no longer a, a pauper. You're a prince. You're seated in heavenly places. But if you actually see it in the context, Paul is expounding on Jesus' commentary about the love of God. Jesus said, as the fathers love me, I've loved you. Paul goes, let me explain it to you in detail. Because of his great love, he made you alive and he seated you in heavenly places with the Son. Let me ask you something. Where's the Son seated? The right hand of the Father. Where are you? Right there with him. Beloved, the purpose of all creation was God not only wanted to have a people that he could love, I see, because I've always thought about God being, not not always, but I I mean, the more I've developed my revelation of who God is and the love of God, I've seen him as a benevolent God that loved me, but more like a, 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 a master loves his pet. Good dog. He goes, that's not it at all. He goes, I opened the door of fellowship to the Godhead and seated you with my son in that unbridled perfection of love that the Father, the Spirit, and the Son share. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, I have loved you. The Father has loved you the way that the Father's loved the Son. Beloved, do you comprehend that you have been welcomed in to the fellowship of the Holy? You are not made to perceive the love of God from a distance. You are made to perceive the love of God as a participant in the divine love that Godhead shares. You're made, God created you to seat you in heavenly places. That is a whole different deal. It's even better than the picture of Esther who gets favor with the king. You see Esther approaching the king and she's going, boy, I hope he puts the scepter out because I'm going to lose my head. And, you, and we kind of go, yeah, that's us. We're Esther and we get favor because he's in a good mood that day. Beloved, that's not really how it is. It's this, the perfectly joyful, delighted God looks in himself and finds creative uh, juices in his own being, says, what would please me the most? And he makes you, and the purpose that he made you for was to love you and seat you in heavenly places, not to love you as some subordinate, but to love you as a co-heir with his son. To love you in a fellowship that's perfect in love, perfect in beauty. He didn't, listen, he didn't make you to perceive the beauty of the Godhead as a spectator watching a movie. He made you to perceive the beauty of of the Godhead as 
part of the special effects. You get to see the fireworks as part of the fireworks. You get it? Thunders and lightnings come from his being. He didn't make you just to, just to be on the outside looking in. He seated you with his son in heavenly places. Jesus makes it real clear in Revelation. He goes, uh, as the Father has given me, he goes, I'm giving it to you. You're going to sit on my throne with me. Oh, man. This changes it all. It would have been enough if he made us alive. It would have been enough if he took us from the ash heap and he made us his pet. That would have been tremendous. But he does the unthinkable. He takes us from the ash heap and hatred of him makes us alive and opens the door of fellowship so that we flow in love with the Godhead as a participant. I call that full contact Christianity. A participant in love. Oh, that's such a different picture. He made you to love you. He made you to flow back and forth in love with him. He made you to participate in the love and the fellowship of the holy. See, we have thought funny things about God and therefore we think funny things about other stuff. For instance, purpose and calling. Now, I don't deny that each of us has a variety of gifts, different things we're anointed to do, stuff we get to do with God in life. But I want to propose to you, and this it'll bear out, because if you go back like I did and read, read every verse on purpose and calling in the New Testament, you'll find that you can't even support the concept of you having your purpose and you having your purpose and you having your purpose and you having your calling and you having your calling and you having your calling. You know what you can support? God's purpose and we have one hope of our calling. Our calling. Let me give you a few verses. Let me just give you a couple of them. They're all in the New Testament. I mean, they're, they're all, it's all over the New Testament. Ephesians 4, 4, it'll come up on your screen. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling. Corporate calling together. You and I are called together in, in, a, in a similar calling. Romans 8, 28, look at this one. I love this one. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to who? His purpose. 2 Timothy 1.9. God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Not according to our works. But according to his own purpose. And grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus when? Before time began. What am I trying to tell you? You have a purpose and a calling that far goes, goes far beyond any job you'll do in this life. Now, please hear me. Because we get this thing confused. We believe that our calling and our purpose has to do with some job that we're going to sort of do for God. And I agree, you and I, we're all gifted in different ways and there's stuff we get to do. We get to actually participate with God in seeing the kingdom go, go forward and, and, and expand. We get to do good stuff in the kingdom. It says in Ephesians 2 that he's already created us in Christ for good works that he's already laid out in front of us. There's all sorts of good things we get to do in him. But beloved, that's not your purpose. The good works that you get to do for 70 years while you're in the internship in this age, that's not your purpose. The, the good works that you get to do for 70, 80 years while you're in this age, that's not your calling. 
You're called according to his purpose and his calling. And you know what that's about? That's about you entering into love. We have greatly diminished the reality of our purpose by making it some job. And I tell you, the height of your purpose is this fellowshipping with God in perfection and beauty. It doesn't get any better than that. The highest calling there is <laughs> is to flow back and forth in intimacy with deity. <laughs> it doesn't get any better than that. You know why so many live broken in this life? Because they imagine their purpose is their job. So their job goes good and they feel good. Their job goes bad and they feel horrible. Why? I have no purpose. Beloved, your purpose isn't your job. It's not even your ministry. Your purpose is God. Flowing in love with God. As one that's been invited into the fellowship of the divine. The fellowship of the holy. The fellowship of the, of the trinity. You've been invited into that perfection that God experienced before time began. You've been welcomed in. He goes, you know what? I really like you. Oh, I like you. Hey, come on in. Hey, hey, I got a seat for you. Come right here. Because I like you so much. I want you to sit with me. Well, let me do something for you, God. Let me do something for you, God. There's got to be something I can do for you. God, you know, you're God and I'm not. Now, let me do something for you, God. He goes, sit down, little buddy. People live fractured and broken inside because they attach their purpose to something in this age. Oh, I tell you, there's many wonderful conquests that we get to do in this age. We get to leap on mountains with him. We get to topple kingdoms of darkness. We get to do all sorts of things. We get to touch the poor. We get to touch the hurting. We get to touch the broken. We get to preach the gospel to the lost, and they get to get born again. Oh, man, we get to lay our hands on sick people. They get healed. All sorts of cool stuff we get to do. I tell you, none of it's your purpose. Your purpose is flowing back and forth in love. With God. This other stuff, it's a byproduct. Flowing in love with each other, that's a byproduct of our highest purpose. Man, it's, I'm just getting calibrated. You, you see my point? I, it's just getting clear for me now. Oh, so my purpose isn't to be a preacher. My purpose isn't to be a missionary. My purpose isn't to be the 24-7 prayer guy. No, that's all fun. That's just fun. That's extra fun stuff I get to do with God. Holy Spirit, he, he, he does it, and I say yes. Here's kind of how, you know, I was just doing the math, actually, on this last night. I was thinking, you know, without him, I can do, say it, and with him, I can do, how much am I adding there? Wait a second here. I, wait, do the math again. Okay, me by myself without him, with him. What was the difference? Him. All of a sudden, without him, I got zero. With him, I got everything. Wait a minute. I, I'm not adding much to this. <laughs> I'm not adding much. I add yes. I add surrender. Okay. That's all I add. Yes, God. He goes, good, let's go do all things. See, that's fun. That's just fun. That's just ridiculous fun. Little, squirrely, wormy, broken down me gets to do all things. I get to touch people and they get healed. Like, like really? Yeah. That's just cool. Now think about how cool that is. They that believe shall lay hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover. Before I believed, I couldn't have done that. After I believed, they recover. What's the difference? Him. This is fun. This is fun. Life is fun. Doing life is fun. Because I get to do it with him. But it's not my highest purpose. My highest purpose is flowing in love. When you orient from there, beloved, oh man, your heart stays buoyant. Your heart stays alive. Your heart stays full of life, filled with pleasure. 
seated in heavenly places, welcomed into the fellowship of the Godhead. That's the point. That's the pinnacle of human, human existence, to be seated in the fellowship of the Trinity. doesn't get any better than that. Now, we experience it now through a glass darkly. Can you imagine? Face-to-face day is coming. Amen. Let's stand. Because right now, if I preach anymore, I'll just mess myself all up. Some of you need to get delivered from your purpose. No, really. You just got to get delivered from your purpose so you can enter into your purpose. You need to get delivered from the specter of your calling so you can get in on being called according to his purpose. I had some weird ideas about calling and purpose. There's all sorts of cool stuff we get to do with him, but that's not your calling and your purpose. Your calling and your purpose is to flow in love with God. And from, that, from there, everything else flows out of that. Why else would he make you one spirit with him? That one will send you. That'll send you into meditation right there. He was joined to the Lord as one spirit with him. One spirit. One spirit with him. Oh, I love it. In this age, I mean, so many wonderful works God's created beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2 says, all sorts of wonderful works we get to do in God by the Holy Spirit. It's not by our own strength, human striving, not according to our works. This is about being one spirit, abiding, and from there, everything else flowing. Look, I got back to preaching. I'm sorry. Is this making sense, beloved? Does this make sense? Come, Holy Spirit. I tell you, once you land it, accepted and beloved, the rest is just details. Oh, more, Lord. Maybe it's just right there for you. Maybe it's just at that simple place of knowing you're accepted, knowing you're delighted in. Maybe that's where, that's, that's just the, that struggle. Maybe you've even been staring at these thoughts. Maybe you've been studying intimacy and for years, and it's just still that, that place of accepted, accepted, and delighted in. I want to ask the Holy Spirit just to come break off rejection break off false mentalities of acceptance release revelation of God's delight God's pleasure even in weakness God's pleasure in you even in your weakness you'd say that's me I I need that revelation I need a greater revelation of his acceptance the free acceptance of the father and the son and has delighted me even in my weakness. I want to pray for you. If that's you, I just want to invite you forward as we worship. Greater revelation of just even that, that, that beginning place. We'll never comprehend seated in heavenly places if we can't comprehend accepted, 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 accepted in Jesus. Accepted in Jesus. 
accepted, accepted, woof, accepted in Jesus. Oh, he goes, I like you. Come right in and sit with me. Accepted in the beloved. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Accepted. He made you accepted. Accepted. Not according to your own works. There's nothing you can do to earn it. The blood of Jesus finished it. He finalized it. God declared your worth to him by showing you what he'd pay for you. And to God, you're worth Jesus. He paid Jesus for you. Accept it. Come, Spirit of God. 